Hey everyone, welcome to our new episode of How Real Life Works. In this episode, we get to talk to Levana. Levana works as a physiotherapist here in Vancouver with us. Manny, this was your guest that you met through mentorship of yours that you're part of. Yeah, we met through the mentorship program and Levana, as you said, works as a physiotherapist. She, through some conversations we had, I kind of found out that she actually is looking to switch careers. And this is an interesting topic, I think, for not just for young people, also for us. How actually this career transition, what's the mindset behind it? I think it's really interesting to take a deeper look into because obviously when we're talking about career changes, it means that at some level, you feel like something is missing in your life. It doesn't necessarily mean you're unhappy. It just means that some you wanted something more. So I wanted to talk to her and see, kind of like dig into her brain a little bit, what is going on and how she is thinking of uh, tackling this career exchange. And aside from that, she's actually pretty passionate about her current job, which is physiotherapist. And I think this is a a job that we don't get exposed to a lot when we're young, being in one of the good professions in the healthcare. And I thought that would be really interesting for young people to see what physiotherapy is all about. Yeah, hopefully you guys didn't have to meet a physiotherapist yet, because it means something's probably (laughs) wrong with you. Although we learned that there's a way how you can use a physiotherapy before you even have an injury. I think it's like a preventative measure. What I also liked with Levana was the simple fact that she told us that she picked her career based on a career quiz that she did when she was younger. <laughs> and what were the other options, if you remember any, that she got like a garbage collector? Yeah, garbage collector and security guard. And I think it was something to do with the rules. Like she was really good at following rules, probably. But yeah, physiotherapies was one of it. Yeah, so we also talk about this part in this episode. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Today we have our guest, Lavana. Hello. To start, Lavana, can you tell us, uh, our audience, what do you do? I am a physiotherapist. <laughs> Should I go into more detail? Or? Yeah, what is <laughs> yeah. that? Tell us oh, about oh, it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Good interview, good interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what a physiotherapist does is they help people with maximizing their mobility and physical function after an injury or illness or disability. And we mainly do this through exercise and movement and something called manual therapy and a whole lot of education. So I work two different places with my job as a physiotherapist and a private practice and public practice. And uh, that's kind of what a physio is in a nutshell and what I do. Does it mean there needs to be an injury before? Or is it also for like super athletes, you know, yeah, who want to optimize your performance? Point that you brought up. No, it doesn't have to have, you don't have to have an injury before to see a physio. There's a lot more focus now going into prehab and the role of a physiotherapist in health prevention and injury prevention and disability prevention. So that's actually a really big part of what physio is as well, mm-hmm. is to help people not get any worse than they currently are or to get them better from where they currently are. Yeah, because I didn't know the the word physiotherapist before. It's only after something happens to you that you look for the specialist. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like what 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 is like. How do people who want to do the prehab find you? Like, is there some education? Like, hey, you should do you should go visit the physiotherapist before something happens to you. Because mm-hmm. I have never been a witness to such a such a messaging. Yeah, and usually, you know, people don't really find out about us or see us until something happens. So this prevention message usually happens after we see them the first time. Um, you know, if you know you're going to be working or doing something that's going to make you prone to injury, like say if you're a high end athlete, then they probably have a physio to start with them during their training from the get go in the beginning so that they don't get injuries during their performance. But for the general public, I would say most of the time you don't see a physio for preventative measures till after something happens. So like a prime example is myself is I have neck pain. And I never really saw a physio beforehand. And then once I had a really bad flare up, I went and saw a physio. And then after, just to keep it from coming back again, because I knew that there were triggers at work that would get it. And what I did for sports outside of work would trigger it. So I saw them for preventative state, even though I wasn't in a lot of pain and just to kind of keep on top of things so it wouldn't get worse. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of preventative measures that people can do at home. I I also have 
a lot of neck pain. <laughs> I think it's the side effect of working in an office yes. nine to five job that just type away on the computer.、Mm -hmm. A while ago, my coworker was suggesting me to buy this tensed machine,、mm -hmm. which is kind of like electrocutes your muscles. <laughs> is there any difference between when people go to see a physio when versus like they're at home trying to fix themselves? And so I guess you know people do exercise and they. And engage in some sort of a, like a stretching routine to kind of prevent injuries from happening.、Mm -hmm. And so the role in a physio, a role for when a physio could come in is if you're just wanting more guidance that's more specific because you can read a bunch of things and go and watch YouTube videos on how to strengthen certain muscles. But、mm -hmm. where a physio would be handy is they can actually look at you, do an assessment to see what where are the actual weaknesses. Can we target things a little bit more specifically? Especially if you're doing those routines preventatively on your own, and you're not really noticing a difference. That's also I know in physio there's also manual、uh, treatment, and、mm -hmm. sometimes that could be quite similar to massages, right? People would、mm -hmm. confuse that. Is there also a stick like a distinct differentiate between the two? Yes, there is. Yeah, and so that's a really that's a really funny point that you bring up because a lot of people that's what they think physios do that we just do massage and that's all we do. It's <laughs>、uh, <laughs> not quite the case.、Uh, we do a lot of exercise prescriptions, so going over different exercises because the thing with manual therapy or soft tissue work with massages, it makes things feel better and it gets things loose, but it's only temporary, and you kind of have to do things like exercises to strengthen muscles and address imbalances. And so the difference between a massage therapist and a Physiotherapists, is we've got more. You know, we've got the exercise prescription. We have the manual therapy that we can do. So, you know, one massage is one part of the mess. Uh, manual therapy we can do, but other things like you know, if you've heard of physios doing acupuncture or using、mm. tens machines or using ultrasound machines. IMS. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. IMS needling. These are all、um, bigger scopes of practice that.、Um, Massage therapists might not be able to do in their day-to-day -day practice, and then aside from that, too, the physiotherapist、uh, has quite a big role outside of、um, what we normally think of in terms of a private practice physiotherapist. And we, we do with the hands-on after an injury. Like there's a whole other scope of physiotherapists who work in the hospital, which is part of what I do. Um, and you cannot work in a hospital as a massage therapist、mm. unless、um, you have. Sign special papers saying that you can go in as a third party.、Mm. You guys mentioned the word manual therapy a couple of time times. I don't know what it means. Is there also like an auto therapy?、Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and so manual therapy is kind of anything that you really do with your hands is how I interpret it from a physiotherapist. And so it can be things like massage. It could be things like using needles, like with your hands to kind of loosen muscles.、Um, There's something called joint mobilizations, which is you know you're going at the joint capsule and you're moving specific things at the joint level,、um, and all of it is kind of to help manage pain or to get something tight that's looser so that you can be in less pain and do the things that are important to you. Both of us, Annie and me, we work in the same company, and one of our ex colleagues, he used to be, I think he still is, a still, physiotherapist,、yeah. mm -hmm. and he was. Making fun of chiropractors a lot. So there's there's quite a you know it's it's kind of funny how you mention all these you know different distinctions between what does a chiropractor do, what does a physiotherapist do, and you know, each of these different professions have different scopes of practice. Is basically the thing. Well, you know what the general public knows about what the differences are. It, it's kind of they all kind of blend in. A lot of people think we all do similar things, and there's a lot of things that do overlap. So chiropractors also do a lot of. Exercise prescription. They do a ton of manual therapy. The joint mobilizations they do.、Um, but one of the biggest things that I guess differentiates、uh, Cairo from physio is that they do a lot of joint manipulations. So you know those crazy things where they're like cracking the joint. See them look like they're going to twist someone's head off. That's, <laughs> that's kind of my impression of what a chiropractor does. And I think old school chiropractors, that's generally what they do. But the newer Trend with chiropractors nowadays is to move more towards you know exercise prescription after they've done some of the manual therapy and and kind of、mm -hmm. expanding their scope so it's not just all this manual hands on at the joint level. And do you think all that cracking is useful?、Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a good question. I mean, it's I think there's value and and there's actually a trend now in physiotherapy to kind of move away from all this hands on because. 
we develop a reliance with our clients that, okay, the only way that I can get better is if the physio or the chiro yeah. or the massage therapist puts hands on me and I, and they do their magic and then I get better and I don't have to yeah. do anything on my own. And so there's definitely a trend now in physio to kind of move away from the hands-on manual, more emphasis on education, education mm-hmm. about pain and pain management and education on exercise and, and just movement in general. Because I think people think that exercise has to be Oh, like I have to do, you know, a bicep curl this many times. Um, and that's exercise, but no. And especially when I'm at the hospital, it's like exercise is getting out of bed, like going from lying to sitting is exercise or going from sitting to standing is exercise. And so a lot of it is also education about changing people's thinking about what movement is and why, why exercise is important and what exercise can actually be. It's not just, Oh, actually doing you know, these very prescribed specific activities. You said uh, in the hospital when you work, sometimes even for patients, getting up, it's exercise. Um, it's, I think we haven't talked about like, you have a specialized field in physio, right? Can you tell us about more about that? Yeah, so I work in the neurology field and physiotherapy, which also it's a it's not a very well-known field, I guess, in physio. And what that means is I work with people post-stroke or after they've had a traumatic brain injury or they've had some sort of issues with their nerve damage. And so generally the presentation is that they have a lot more illness and disability than someone who says, uh, I don't know, sprained their ankle or broke a bone. Um, And so these types of physiotherapists can work in the hospital setting, you know, right after someone had a stroke and they went to the hospital to what I also do in outpatient private practice is, you know, they've kind of gone through the hospital setting and they've gone home now, but they still want to get back to things that are important to them. They're not quite back to what they were before the stroke or before the brain injury. Um, and so a lot of what we do in the hospital setting is kind of making sure that people are safe to go home. So we have Mm -hmm. to ask them what their home environment looks like. You know, do they have a house with stairs or do they live in an elevator? So if they can't walk, can they use a wheelchair to go back home? And I think a lot of people don't realize that physiotherapists, it's not just when you're working in the hospital system, it's not just the client that you're working with. You're working with the whole team. So you're working with the doctors, you're working with the speech therapist, you're working with the occupational therapist to try to create a comprehensive plan to get this person home safely. And then if they can't, then we also have to do a lot of planning to sort out well what's the best thing for them afterwards and I think you don't work in isolation in the hospital and that's what I really like about it and that's why I want to stay in you know part-time private part-time public so I get that continuity of care and have that team that I can work with a lot of times people I think in the hospital too they think okay you're the physio like give me some exercises to do so I can get stronger and then we'll do a session and then they'll tell their family oh I just sat up Or like, I just stood up (laughs) for physio. Like we didn't really do a lot of exercise. Like, yeah, that's, that's actually exercise. So a large part of what I do is kind of explaining this is considered exercise and it's important for you to move, especially in the hospital and you've become so weak. It's actually every day that you lie in bed is actually 1% of your muscle mass that's lost. So it's pretty significant if you think about, you know, population that's old and frail. If they can lose, if they're losing muscle mass, it just makes it harder for them to get stronger to get up again to walk and to manage things that they used to be able to do independently before so you have 100 days if you lie in the bed for 100 days there's no muscles yeah pretty much i think they did a study with nasa where they looked at that like they were in space and then or or they were trying to figure out what happens if they're because anti-gravity you don't have as much um and it was yeah something like one percent a day and so if you think about it yeah after 10 or 15 days you can get considerably weaker and there's actually um a lot of work looking at the role of physiotherapists in the icu and um, you know people are very sick there and sometimes they're in bed for a really long time they're not really moving so trying to get physios in the icu early on get them moving early on so that they don't have as much muscle weakness and muscle loss um during their hospital stay in those critical periods. This reminds me of the scene from Seven. I'm not sure if you guys know. I was going to say Kill Bill. Kill Bill? <laughs> Kill Bill, when, um, when Umar Thurman stood up, she has no leg muscle. She just fell down from bed when she first woke up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know Kill Bill much, but in Seven, it was one of the scenes. I think it was like something like laziness, but it's called in a different way. And and the guy who was doing the sins, he tied somebody to the bat and he kept feeding them, but that, that was all. But they didn't move. Yeah. 
So when the when the cops found him, he was like looking very bad, but he was still alive. But like his muscles like completely gone. Yeah, it's pretty gross. I mean, that's why we're in the hospital, so something like that doesn't happen. <laughs> I know from fitness is it that is it that when when your body needs energy and there's no fat, it starts eating the muscles, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, it's going through whatever energy source that you can get, right? So if you depleted, you know, your sugar sources, and then you go into your fat sources, and then there's no more fat, then they'll go into muscle because muscle does have energy in it. That's also why sometimes um, in the on the weekends, if you woke up and then you didn't get up, and then you lie in bed from till like maybe two p.m. or four p.m. when you get up, you actually don't feel that well. Oh, is it? Feel gross. Yeah. So imagine <laughs> that, but like ten, like you know. 10 possibly times. five, ten days, yeah, ten times worse, and then you're wow. actually sick on top of that. Like, mm, it's not yeah. a fun feeling. Yeah, it is pretty tough. And you mentioned that uh, working as a team, and that's kind of like your favorite part about your job. Uh, what's the least favorite part about the job? Yeah, so you know, it's it's a heavy job emotionally and physically, especially in the field that I work at. Um, it's it's very physically demanding because a lot of people, you know, if they've had a stroke and all of a sudden they're paralyzed on one side, like you're, you've got to use your body to help them. Obviously there's machines and stuff like lifts, overhead lifts that you can use, but quite physical to get people, you know, back up on their feet again and walking again. Um, and then from an emotional standpoint, it's pretty draining. Like these are pretty traumatic things that people are going through. And sometimes when you just face it on a day to day basis, you kind of become normalized to it. And as a healthcare worker, like you really have to step back and look at them as a whole person. Because sometimes I think, you know, we know that the healthcare system is overrun and everyone's just kind of running on gasoline fumes is the way that I like to explain it. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like these are human beings and they have families and they have, you know, lives that have traumatically changed because of what's happened to them. And you have to be mindful of that and be empathetic and, you know, take the time to really understand where they're coming from and help them achieve what they want to achieve. And so a lot of times I actually feel like I'm a counselor in my job because there's a lot of loss going on. Mm. And, you know, part of you, part of my job is kind of to help, you know, minimize those losses or get back to looking at the losses and start looking at the wins that they can get in their life. It's also tough, I think, to balance like when to treat them as patients, but also still value them as a person. Um, I know this from probably it's a weird comparison, but like when I lost uh, my grandma, I heard a lot of like, oh, so sorry for your loss. And at a, to a point where I started to kind of feel like grandma is not in all the conversations that I have. I just mm-hmm. want to be seen as like a normal person. So mm-hmm. I could imagine um, that for someone who has gone through those losses, even though they're trying to get back on their feet, it's also tough to balance that kind of emotions right yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of parties involved too right like sometimes it gets really easy to be like well i want this goal for you because i think you're going to be able to do it and it Mm -hmm. might not be what they actually want to do right but you you think you know better and you know that that's good for them but they also have to buy into that whole idea as well right so these are all things that they don't teach you in school (laughs) when you become a physiotherapist and it's definitely a lot of learning. And for someone who's quite introverted, like it's really draining (laughs) to do that on a day-to-day basis. And so I find, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just so spent from work that I don't have a lot left in me for anything else that, you know, it's important to me. And so definitely had to re-look at, you know, what, what, what is work for me? What is important? How much do I want to put myself out into work on a day-to-day basis? And what am I getting out of it too, right? So it's definitely, yeah, one of the highlights is it's super rewarding helping these people. And it's, it's really awesome just getting to know these people as people and listening to their awesome stories in their lives and kind of getting a sense of what they were like before this happened. Um, and then trying to get them back to, you know, some sort of a semblance of it. But I think sometimes too, it's like, what is, is that the goal? You know, is that the mm, ultimate goal? Yeah. Because I think some people get really fixated on that and that's all that they want to do. And so you're kind of trying to navigate all these, you know, different balances. So you're on a seesaw all the time too. About, okay. And I think the hardest thing for me is having conversations with people that aren't quite ready to accept that this might be their new normal. Um, and there's definitely a lot of, ethical issues I face working in private practice because in the public system it's you only have a certain number of time you can be at the hospital Mm -hmm. and then afterwards you know you might get access to some free outpatient services but then that also runs out because it's a public 
taxpayer dollar paid service, right? So if you want to quote unquote get better, do more physio, you're expected to pay out of pocket yourself. And so there's another layer of pressure of, okay, well, I'm paying you, so you need to make me better. Or, you know, from, you know, looking at this person, they might not be able to walk again based on the severe severity of the injury that they have. But in their minds, they're like, yeah, I can do it if I just put my mind to it and do my physio and do my exercise. But sometimes it's just not a realistic goal. So that's where I really struggle with having that conversation with people and kind of letting them know, you know, kind of get, got to get, this is life for you. This, you know, is not what you're going to, it's not like what you were doing before, but, um, you know, it's, I think it's something that something that you might have to accept. And I think it's definitely hard. And with COVID, everybody <laughs> has an idea of what that feels like now, right? <laughs> like it, you, you want to go back to what was normal, but that's not really going to happen. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into PT? Did little Lavana dream of being a physiotherapist <laughs> one day? No, that, that definitely wasn't how I started this. I mean, I knew as a kid, I wanted to work in healthcare because I liked working with people and I liked helping people. Mm -hmm. But off the bat, I was like, not a doctor, not a nurse, because I don't want to do my the 12 hour shifts. I don't want to work <laughs> night shifts. I love my sleep. So I started doing more research um, in high school, just kind of looking at, okay, well, what are other professions in healthcare? Um, and then I did uh, one of those job o surveys and career prep class where you put in your personality traits and you put in your interests and then they kind of spit out a couple of professions that might be suitable for you. So physio was on the list, but also a garbage worker and a security guard was also on the list. So I guess I don't really like rigid schedules and, and control over <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was kind of, I was For physio, I was interested because I didn't really know much about it. And um, I actually joined a YWCA mentorship program. So it's a volunteer program where you're matched up with a mentor and the mentor is someone who works in the field. And then you can get more idea of what, okay, well, what is this profession? What do you do? What does your day-to-day -day look like? Um, and my uh, mentor, actually, she wasn't a physio at the time. She was a med school student. Um, but she had worked as a physiotherapist for about two years before that. And, um, I think the defining moment was she took me to children's hospital and I was, I loved working with kids at the time. Actually, I thought I was going to be a pediatric physiotherapist after all of this and focus on something with kids and all my volunteer work at that time was with kids. Um, and she took me to the physio gym at children's hospital and it literally was a room with a bunch of toys. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, this is so cool. Like I get to play with kids all day and it's considered work. Like, yeah, sign me up for it. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, I, I did never even went down that path when I actually went to physio school and, um, never did a practicum in pediatrics, end up falling in love with working with older adults. How did you go from little kids and being excited about playing all day to yeah. caring about seniors? Yeah, I think um, you can reason with seniors <laughs> mm. and you can't really reason with little kids. <laughs> you know, they just don't have the capacity to to figure out, okay, yeah, like, yeah, I should probably do these jumping jacks because it's good for my muscles. Um, and I think, to be honest, um, it's you, when you're working with kids, you don't just work with kids, you work with their parents as mm. well. Mm. So it's almost like you're working with two sets of people and it was just too much. And from an energy standpoint too, you have to be so energetic and so upbeat with little kids all the time. And I just thought, nah, I don't think I could do that on a daily It's basis. Tough. Yeah. 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 So it was, and, and then I just, um, I did more volunteer work, um, with seniors, uh, cause a lot of the times my other senior, uh, volunteer work, um, was with kids and, I just loved listening to their stories. Like the, people have such interesting lives and mm -hmm. that's like what I love about my job is you get to listen to their stories and hear about all their experiences. And I just learn and grow as a person when I can see, yeah, there's lots of different ways that people live their lives and why, why they chose to do what they do. And I find listening to that really interesting. You mentioned that you started looking more into physiotherapy because of the personal test that you did when yeah. you were younger when we had our intro call i was messaging any like hey like is this real like do people <laughs> young people decide their life based on a personal quiz so i'm just yeah. wondering if by any chance when you did the test something else showed up do you think you would look more into it and maybe you would discover that 
okay, maybe something else is interesting for me because mm-hmm. helping people is quite a generic thing. You can help people in many different ways. Yeah. So I'm wondering what is your opinion on this? Oh, yeah. Um, I think they're definitely, you know, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this because I'm actually now a mentor um, for the YWCA program. So I, I'm working with high school girls, like, you know, going through the same thing that I went through at that age. And mm-hmm. it's, it's overwhelming, right? Like you're, you're pressured to follow a path after you finish high school. And, you know, not only is there that pressure from society, but then from a family perspective, there's pressures for where, what you should do and what you shouldn't do, right? And from my, my personal background, my parents were very much like, you need to get a good job that pays you well. And there needs to be some, some level of prestige to it, right? I think there definitely was pressure from like, you know, pleasing my parents with, yeah, you know, this is, this is something like they've worked really hard to get me to the point where I am so I can pursue something to make my life better than what they have. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's better is something that pays better and something that's more respectable because they were immigrants and they came here with nothing. And the more education I can get, then, you know, it's going to be better than what they were offered. You'll move up the ladder. Exactly. And it's a safe place to go, right? Because it's it's almost guaranteed if you're in healthcare that you're going to get a job, that you're going to get paid pretty well. There's a certain level of respect in society for this job or for these professions, right? So I think that's why I was so also really drawn to healthcare because, yeah, Andre, you're right. Like there's tons of other things that you could do to help people, right? It doesn't have to be in healthcare. Um, but definitely I, I'm, I'd be lying if I'd say that income wasn't a big <laughs> influence for me. And like, what, what's the salary of a physio? That's definitely something I was thinking about. And it's something that I think high school students think about, but they don't really want to ask <laughs> about. You mean the money? Um, yeah. Like how much money do you make? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there's not a lot of, um, I guess mentorship or guidance on like, well, how much money do you need? <laughs> you know, like there's exactly. definitely, yeah. um, you need a certain amount to pay your day to day, but also it's like what that day to day looks like is driven by what context you want to have. Right. And I think we are definitely given a a sense of what that context should look like. um, And people feel the need to follow that context. But I think this COVID thing has definitely been a huge (laughs) eye opening. The yeah. context you're talking about is a house and you yeah. can go on vacation outside yeah. of the country every once a year exactly. and you can hang out with your friends and yeah. go to Do these cool fancy things. dinners. Yeah. Go to fancy dinners, yeah, and like buy nice things, right? Mm-hmm. Which is all not available at the moment, but everyone still lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's really interesting, Annie, that you bring that up because I definitely was reaching that point. I like got to a point where I was just so overrun with work and I was working so hard to picking up overtime shifts so I could get extra day or two vacation off or I could save a little bit more so I can go on vacation. It's like, why do I want to go on vacation so much? Well, to get away from work. Yeah. Right? And, and then it, it really, like something switched last year where I'm just like, well, what's the point of work then? Like, why don't I just work less or find work where I feel like I need less of getting away from? Right? Yeah. Um, and I think that wasn't very clear to me back in high school and just even reflecting on like well what were my interests back then like I was really interested in French and like I thought it would be pretty cool to be a French school teacher for kids you know but it's like well teachers not like how much money do teachers make and like you know French is that really useful like are they gonna hire someone who's not francophone you know all these things right all these doubts and like I did an exchange to a francophone country and all these things were like you know there's stuff with culture there's stuff with languages that I was really fascinated with but I kind of pulled myself away from it and tried to stick through well you know the end goal is physio Yeah. yeah and I need to like these things are cool and it's fun that I get to explore these things but it's within the context of this path of working towards a physiotherapist I think you you mentioned this notion of like following the context going through um the path and now that you have arrived at the path how do you feel if i were to tell you to evaluate your life right now like let's mm-hmm. say one is like it's a failure it's totally miserable which i'm pretty sure is not and then 10 would be like this is the life i'm like mm-hmm. living it where would you think you would be like we're not talking about money we're not talking about your work just in terms of life like how do you feel about it 
I feel like, you know, I'm at a seven, mm-hmm. which, which is not good, too bad. But it's like, it's comfortable, right? It's not, it's not bad, but it's like, I think a lot of people are really scared to get past a seven to make themselves a 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's definitely me. That rings really true for me. Yeah. Because you have that comfortable life, right? Like you're not missing anything, but you're not like yeah. fully satisfied if you like go deep inside yourself. Well, that's the thing. I don't think it's true about you're not missing something. I think you do feel that there is something missing, mm-hmm. but you're just too scared to pursue it mm-hmm. because the unknown is more scary than what is known, right? But I think complacency and just being comfortable is, you know, that's where you kind of die. <laughs> you know, you need to constantly be pushed and be uncomfortable because that's life and that's how you grow. Right? Not saying mm-hmm. that you should be uncomfortable all the time because that's a whole other thing. But yeah, that's stressful. Being too comfortable, yeah, is not, not really it. I think that's definitely something young people need to factor into when they think about their future, not just mm-hmm. the, the income and the career, but also the type of life uh, that they want to have. I know ooh, I was also subjected to this when I was younger that I was thinking, oh, I want to do this, but this doesn't make as much money. So I'm going to be this, but I don't really consider what that actually does to my life until... Yeah. After what I was about to get into my first job, um, I worked as a film, um, a film magazine editor in my first job. And printing industry in Taiwan is just a dying industry, let alone movie magazine. There's only two in Taiwan. One is mm-hmm. us, one is the other big one. So we're the one that's the probably the next one to die. So I wasn't being paid really well. Uh, it's actually pretty low even for Taiwan's standards. But when I was about to take it, all, all my both of my parents, they're like, you know, we send you to college. We spend a lot of money on your education. Is this really what you want to do? You're really bright. Your English is good. You should probably pursue something with a higher income. But my argument to them was like, I am happy doing this. And I make maybe what, 100, 200 bucks less um, compared to my friends monthly. But I just go English tutor, I sub, and then I can just take one or two clients and I make up for the money. But it's about, I have time. I get off work at six. I come home and we can have, we can spend time together. I could get to go out with my friends instead of just stuck in a company that overworks until 10 p.m., which is a common phenomenon back then. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to factor into like this life that people are creating for themselves through the career. Oh, well, I think like when you, you know, just listening to what you're saying too, a lot of it is guilt, right? Guilt from other people. And then you start putting that guilt on yourself and this pressure to feel like you have to live up to something or follow something. And also, you know, it's hard to see if you are surrounding yourself with similar people, how are you supposed to see what other looks like? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Listen I think there's podcast. definitely. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are doing great work. Yeah. So that's that's the thing, right? Seeing what other is and like mm-hmm. actually opening yourself up to looking at other. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to add to what you, Lavana, were saying before, because like how much money you make doesn't mean how much money you will be able to save at the end of the day. Because it also really depends on how you spend the money and how you think about yep. the money. So that's another thing. Like you can you can earn I don't know hundred k a year. But if you live like in a crazy, crazy place, you you pay yeah. for rooms that you don't even need. You go out drink every every weekend. Like many people, like live life like that, and they are actually in a debt. Yeah, yeah, and they're not happy, and they need to chase that hundred fifty k job, which yeah. makes exactly. more stress because <laughs> exactly to keep up with the lifestyle, right? I was uh, I was reading. I don't know if you guys know Jimmy O Yang. He's a actor. Um, he's from Hong Kong originally, was in the States. He was in Crazy Rich Asians. Um, anyways, he's a stand-up comedian as well. And he, you know, I see this very common with, um, like Asian Canadians, like Chinese Canadians, Asian Canadians, Americans, where it's like, you follow this path and you, you, you live this little box. And then there's always that thing on the side where you're trying to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're constantly told, like, you don't pursue. He had a really awesome quote that I like. His dad told him, pursuing your dreams is for homeless people. <laughs> he's wow. like, you do, you do what you hate. Do not listen so, to that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you do what you hate 
so that you can make money to do things you love. And I was like, wow, there's something very inherently wrong with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like if you're in that mindset, but I see it so much around me, right? Like you see people in these nine to five jobs that they hate at, you know, and then they take the money that they earn from that and they spend it on things that make them happy. But it's like, if you're spending majority of your time doing something that you don't like, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the, the whole income and money and how we look at money and how do we save money is definitely something that we don't talk about enough as well. And I think that's a big thing that youth and people who are starting their careers need to kind of look more into and see what do you want to make your what do you want to spend your money for right and Mm -hmm. it's like it's been really interesting because when the COVID happened my clinic closed so my income essentially went down to half of what it was and I was freaking out like man how am I going to pay my bills like just got a mortgage and surprisingly it like what you said Annie like you you have less money you spend less money like I don't feel like I'm less happy than when I had more money to spend like you know it's kind of been nice working two days a week I don't feel drained all the time and and now it's Mm -hmm. like you know it's nice going back to full-time work but I'm just like I can see I was like yeah if I continue it's the other side right that we didn't have the courage to go to yeah and it was like it forced me right And so I think there's also this pressure of, okay, well, you have to, um, like, if you're going to look for something different, you just have to quit what you do completely and Mm. and then go from there, right? But I think there's so many ways you can look at it. And I think I still really like what I do as a job. I don't want to do it full time because I know it's too much, but I still thrive off of being a physio and I thrive off of working with people. And that became very clear when I was forced to work only half time at COVID because I wasn't really doing, I was at a clinic where it wasn't neuro focused. And I, I just really felt like, oh, I miss it. I miss my clients. I miss helping people in that context. And so it really brought, brought it, it made it clear that like, I'm not ready to leave physio yet, but I can't sustain it full time. And I was already thinking kind of of a different strategy before all of COVID happened. And I thought, oh, great, this is going to be a good opportunity to force me to start looking mm. at other things. But I think pandemics usually aren't the best times to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to look at alternatives. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just retreated back to what I knew was safe, right? Like I know physio, yeah. I know I make this mo- amount and like I know there's a need and a demand for it. And I know in the public system, there's always going to be jobs there. And I think there's no shame in that. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like recognizing that there's a pattern and you've got to also stop stop the pattern too, right? I think mean, that's the first mm-hmm. step. So. Well, when what is actually this uh missing thing that's you you feel like in your life have you found it or yeah and I think that's where I need to explore it it was really interesting because I had a friend point out she's like you probably don't even know what you want because you've shut it down for so long um and really because it's in the context of I think it's related to culture it's related to art it's related to all these things I was conditioned from a young age and told that this is not this is worthless you're going to, you know, just like Jimmy O. Yang's dad, you're going to be homeless <laughs> oh my if you pursue these things. And it's like, well, I've created a pretty good platform to explore these things now, right? It's just now committing time to actually taking time off from my actual job to explore these things. And I think things that have become very clear to me is um, like a love learning about Chinese culture and like Chinese diaspora and Chinese identity. And now, especially in this time of COVID, like it's so complicated mm-hmm. with all these layers of what we're dealing with racism. And it's like, I was lucky growing up in Vancouver that I've never really experienced overt racism, but you know, just in the last year, it's like, it's still there. People just don't, people keep it under covers. Right. And I think even within like the Chinese community, there's racism amongst yeah, <laughs> amongst all the different Chinese, right? And that's also something people don't realize. And it's like, I kind of want to bring to light that there are these different nuances that are these different, there are these differences. And, you know, we're all not just one homogenous mix, right? There's so many different layers. So that's definitely it. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty, I would say it's pretty overt, like, you know, just layers of, well, like I'm Chinese and I'm born here. So I'm born Canada. So there's different terms. And it was like in high school was when all this kind of came up. And I think Vancouver is also, also a very special place in that it exists in Vancouver because of the fact that we have so many different Chinese people here from different backgrounds, right? Because there's definitely, you know, a hierarchy with, oh, Chinese who were born in Canada versus, you know, Chinese who are from Hong Kong versus from mainland China versus from Taiwan, right? And then that's not even separating it from like all the other Asians, like Koreans and the Japanese and all that, right? So there's definitely 
um, I feel like layers in there that most people are not aware of unless you're in that um, context. And I've been reading a lot and like reading a lot through literature and watching movies with like Chinese Canadian, you know, Asian Canadian artists. And it's pretty cool because they're just bringing all these different voices to light. Right. And it's like, yeah, actually I identify with that because a lot of these voices you don't hear in the general narrative and general media. So it's great that there's all these things like crazy rich Asian, but it's only just an aspect or like Ali Wong, all these comedians, it's just one aspect of it. And the more that we can bring to light all these different voices, the more it's like, in the end, it's like, we're all more similar than we are different. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like, we need to spend more time understanding these differences and really kind of digging down deep and being like, well, what, what about these differences are making us so hostile and violent towards others? And I think it's just misunderstanding. That's what I was reading somewhere recently that people usually focus on the differences yes. between each other rather than focusing on what they have in common. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting too. Cause like I said, I've, I've been really just like trying to absorb as much like Asian literature as possible. And it's like uh, a movie I was watching on Netflix recently. It's called Half of It. I was watching interviews with um, the director. Alice afterwards. Wu. I yeah. asked her to be on the podcast. Oh, did you? Did she agree? That'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think she read my message. But, um, yeah, because yeah. I love her movies. Yeah. yeah. Her movies and she's are great. like, you know, people from all backgrounds are are watching these movies and they identify with the character even though the character the lead character is like a chinese american girl right and so it's it just brings to light like and we're we're in a place we live in a country where there are a lot of people from different places and we need to figure out how to get along with each other you know mm-hmm. why can't we actively take more steps towards that rather than dividing each other and i i definitely feel a lot of struggle, I guess, and conflict within that as well, because I see it in the healthcare system a lot, right? It's like mm. you know, a common example is people don't speak English, or speak Cantonese, or they speak Mandarin, and they come into the healthcare system, and they expect that someone should be translating for them. Like, yeah, you know, that would be nice, but that's not a given, because you also live in a country where English is the main language, right? So you could, you, there's a lot of, you know, dangerous territory that you can start getting into with that. But it's like coming from a Chinese Canadian, I'm saying that because it's, mm-hmm. it's not right to assume that the system is going to cater to you just because you don't speak that language. Yes, there needs to be a certain level of accommodation, but you can't also assume and demand that, you know, that might make a lot of people angry that I said that. <laughs> but, you know, it's just bringing up these kinds of things um, and trying to, bring light to these issues. And I think where, especially for Chinese culture, where there's a lot of commonality or where what brings thing, people together is food. Yeah, And I definitely have been really absorbed, also food literature and like all these things about food and, you know, trying to understand people through food. So something where I can combine the two together would be amazing. Still a work in progress, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's taking, taking the time. I'm absorbing a lot of stuff. I think I need to start creating stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that your plan, how to go from 7 to 10? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) And I think also it's like, I'm definitely putting pressure on myself to say, yeah, like that's going to be the 10. But I think there needs to be a realistic expectation that maybe that might not be the 10, right? But at the same time, you have to have tried. Because if you don't try it, then how would you know? And I think that's that's where a lot of people just were like, well, then it's easier just to not try. (laughs) Because it is unknown is scary, right? I and mean, it's like, well, you know, I think that's the thing with these paths with, you know, getting a degree in a profession that has a pretty good job is if you work your butt off, you're going to get it. You're going to get the rewards. Whereas things where you have to be creative or you have to be an entrepreneur, you can work your butt off no and one, it's not guaranteed. Yeah. And no one might like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's, you know, it's that confronting that fear and, and being able to accept that and go forward with it anyways, I think is kind of the next step that I need to take to, to move forward. That's the thing with COVID. If you think about it, many people lost their secure jobs. Yeah. So it's not like it's 100% guaranteed. Maybe in healthcare, you always need somebody to take care of public health. But like many people lost their jobs while people who could be doing something on their own freelancing because Mm -hmm. they already need to have that 
entrepreneurial spirit, they're more likely to adjust to new situations like COVID. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think in general, like school, our formal education system and society breeds us to be in these structures and, and like to thrive in these types of structures. And when that structure is taken away, like we're really flailing and it's people who get out of that structure. They're the ones that are the most adept to being flexible, right? I definitely am one that's not dealing very well with being flexible and like I thrive <laughs> off of routine and structure and this has been really difficult for me. So it's been a good lesson. It's not been an easy lesson, but yeah, definitely. I have another, like my best friend works as an entrepreneur and she's like, yeah, life hasn't changed too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do all my work online yeah. yep. and like, you know, I control my hours and stuff. My income's the same. So yeah, but l- let's, let's be a little bit more practical. Like how are you going to get to that 10? Like you mentioned creating something. We were mm-hmm. talking about you having your own podcast, but then you mentioned that you also like writing. Yeah. What would be like your next steps? Let, let's, let's, let's try to communicate a bit because I also <laughs> think that if you say just by yourself, it will have a more value just for you and it will be more likely for you to do something. Actually, what I want you to do, you can commit right here in front of all the audience. That <laughs> what making, you you're do. making me make smart goals. Do you guys have to do that at work too? <laughs> we do. Has to be. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been trying to set smart goals but for myself. They haven't been very successful in staying to the timeline. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, what I've kind of laid out for myself is I was kind of hoping to get into this through like writing a blog and putting stuff out on a blog. And so steps that I need to take is actually buying a domain or figuring out what that means. I'm probably insulting someone with what that means because I don't know. Yes. yes. (laughs) Yeah. Two minutes. We can do it in two minutes. It's very easy. (laughs) Yeah. Set up up my (laughs) website. I need to actually create content. I have. I did work on writing. I told myself I need to write five potential blog posts and then have a domain you know by originally it was for june to have it going and put pressure mm-hmm. on myself to do it um kind of been thrown off with covid but i need to get back on track with that um never entertained the idea of a podcast but it really brought it to light to me because i do just like talking to people i it's <laughs> like talking and listening to people it's way easier than having to write stuff <laughs> the topics you you are interested in is also probably think it would be more interesting if I listen to it. If I yeah. need to spend maybe one hour reading a long article about history, it yeah. might <laughs> might yeah. be a little bit daunting. But if it's yeah. like someone telling me about it with all the different stories, I would be very interested yeah. in listening to that. It's also about how different people consume information. I think maybe stories are good for like listening or watching. But yeah. when you mention food, like pictures, mm-hmm. like a blog yeah. post with pictures, absolutely. Yeah, I want the details. Also, yeah. Levana, just like an advice, like don't delay s- the posting or sharing what you wrote mm-hmm. until you have a domain and a website. Like you can just mm-hmm. write something and put it somewhere on Facebook or on social media, or you can yeah. contact existing blogs and you can be like a guest blogger you can just put it on somewhere it's more about like getting into the routine of creating things yeah and then eventually you can and then then eventually you can um, do the the other the the techie stuff so andre you like hit the nail on the head (laughs) he is yeah i just just keep making excuses (laughs) yes i know know. you know what started all this was i did i did write something and submitted it into uh, a publication and I didn't think it was going to go anywhere but it was a story about my grandma and I, I've always wanted to write her story and I've always felt that her story was important and needed to be shared and I wrote it and submitted it to this magazine thinking well like if it doesn't get selected I'm gonna at least I did it right and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it did it get it got selected and I actually got to read it out in public which was terrifying but it was pretty well received i would say and it's like yeah i think i rely a lot on that external pressure <laughs> mm-hmm. to get me there and and then i just make excuses but you've totally called me out on my excuses. Yes. You, you, you can even go one further step this is probably a little bit practical what i also started doing this year is 
you because we have the the smart goal says you need to be attainable and there's there needs to be a timeline, right? So if you say I need to do get the domain by June, let's say this is the June goal, right? It's what? not. It's like, come on, what day is it no, today? Tuesday. Yes. You can do it by Friday. <laughs> no, I'm okay. Okay, maybe maybe something bigger. Maybe the five. Uh, what what was it? The five. Uh, yeah, the five posts. Yeah. Okay, this is a June goal, right? Yeah. You need to actually not just think about it in terms of June. It needs to be further down. So, what do you need to do actually in week one for you to do it by the end of June? So, you、yeah. need to even break it down into weekly commitments that you need to constantly be doing something, which is what Andre was telling about the routine. Because eventually, it will come so easy, and then by June, you're like, "Oh, I did five. That's、yeah. because you spend kind of like small efforts every week for it." You guys should be considering career, like a career as a. <laughs> Yeah, we are, we are the we are yeah, the modern、coaching. modern version of the personal quizzes that you did back in the days. <laughs> With way way more interactive. <laughs> but also also one thing that is very important is just to start. It's simple as that,、just、but go. yeah, yeah. Like, don't overthink things. And also, like when it comes to creating, like what you were saying, that's what I was also discussing with Annie. And I got this from Gary V. Not sure if you know about him, Levana. He's like a very famous guy、mm-hmm. on social media. He's like an entrepreneur, business guy,、mm-hmm. and he says that it's really about the quantity, and you don't know about the quality because you first need to put stuff out, out. until、yeah. people have a chance to tell you if it's a quality. Because if you strive for like what is super quality for you, may not be quality for others. So that's why、yes. it's important to just. Create, 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 and share it with others. Very good point. Because I definitely, I'm like, no, it's not good enough. So it has to、mm-hmm. be perfect before、mm-hmm. it comes out,、mm-hmm. and then it just never does. Because I'm like, it's not good enough.、Yeah. <laughs> you might need to consider that your perfect is um, out, no, not your perfect. Your seventy percent might be other people's perfect.、Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that could、uh, exactly. that's also a possibility. All right, free advice. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I was like, you guys are so good at this. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I was gonna say like these art and culture things that you wanted to do. Is you said that you put it away very young、um, because you wanted to, you know, focus and then go to the path. But have you actually thought deeper and dive into like where it actually comes from? Did you? Put time into this when you're like even way younger before you started thinking about future and all these kind of things. I don't think I I d- like looked into it at,、mm-hmm. as a career. It was just a personal interest. Like I remember as a kid, I would look for like Chinese Canadian writers because I love reading. So I was looking for any kind of Chinese authors that I could read about. But in the context of Being Chinese Canadian, right?、Mm-hmm. So Lawrence Yep was one of the big ones. He, but he wrote about being Chinese during the Gold Rush, like in the 1800s, right? And yeah, some of the stuff I could identify with, but it wasn't in the context of me, like growing up, you know, in, in Vancouver in like in the 90s, I guess. And so a lot of that, I think, was what started my interest. Like I just was looking for it so much in like my reading and in high school, like any kind of show that would have an Asian character in it,、um, I would devour just because simply there was like I don't know if you guys remember the show Martial Law. It was a terrible show. That Samo Hung. <laughs> it was like <laughs>、no. a it was a, a TV show,、uh, American TV show with like Chinese. I don't remember. They were like, you know, everything stereotypical. They did martial arts and stuff, but there was a female Chinese character, or like the Yellow Ranger from Power Rangers. I would love her because she was yellow and she looked Asian. You know, like stuff like that. I think I always sought out in in my youth, but I never thought of pursuing it as something that I could create that content. Right?、Um, it was just more of I wanted to see that, so I could be my experience could be reflected in, on screen. And when YouTube started becoming popular, channels like Wang Fu. Uh, Kev Jumba, you know all those big Asian. They found their way of filling that gap in、yeah. mainstream media through、um, YouTube, right? Because it was an alternative. And now Netflix, I'd say there's tons of amazing things on Netflix trying to fill that gap as well. But it never was like, oh yeah, maybe I will like be part of creating that content.、Uh, it was、mm-hmm. never something that I considered, but it's definitely something that I've always been just genuinely interested in. Um, and it's something that I identify with, but I think、um, 
right now, I, I, I feel the need to kind of get out of that a little bit because it's like, yeah, yeah, everything's reflected, but I need to start looking at other perspectives too and kind of take, take a step out now and look at, okay, well, what are other people, other people's perspectives and other, you know, cultures and what, what they go through, right? To kind of be a little bit more well-rounded because, um, I think sometimes if you kind of get stuck and it was really interesting, I was reading, uh, Ali Wong's Dear Girls memoir and she was saying, you know, a lot of, uh, Asian comedians or they kind of do the set to a specific niche and they get set in, in that little set and they're successful in that little set, but it's hard to, for them to break out of that niche because they only know that context. Mm-hmm. And so, and same, it just goes back to comfort, right? It's comfortable and it's rewarding because people like it because they identify with it. But I think the bigger picture is we're trying to get other people to also see your perspective and understand that perspective too, right? What do you think young people could do right now to prepare? I wouldn't say any career, just like mm-hmm. prepare for their life. Yeah, it's, you know, that's the golden question. Yeah. <laughs> I think exposing yourself to as many different scenarios as possible, right? And like putting yourself in uncomfortable situations that are outside of your norm is mm-hmm. so valuable. So I always tell people like whenever I do these mentorship things, like go on exchange because that's the best way to get out of your comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. Go on exchange in a place where you can't speak the language and you learn pretty quickly how to adapt. Um, and I think that would be the most valuable thing I would say is go on exchange or live mm-hmm. somewhere else. Um, where you're not you're not in your your comfortable familiar surroundings do you think that people should be taking the career quizzes uh, you know does it, it opens up your options to look at what different things are right like i i kind of knew what physio was but i didn't and they are you know there's certain careers and certain things that are suited towards personalities and certain interests right so getting an understanding of that and i i my big thing is i always tell people like talk to people who are doing interesting things that you're interested in and get to know what they do and how they got to where they were. That's like the best thing you can do to prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, if you reach out, people are genuinely flattered that you're interested in what they are doing and they're more than happy to share. It's very rare that you get rejected outright. Mm-hmm. Even the really, really busy people, <laughs> they somehow make time. So hopefully Alice Wu will get back to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they can listen to the podcast. That's you just basically talked about why we started the podcast. <laughs> listen to this podcast. Prepare for your future. I'm still wondering if we give advice to people who are listening to this and they really feel like I want to be the next Levana. Like I want to <laughs> be a physiotherapist. I want to help people. What do you think would be your practical advice for them? Uh, definitely talk to a physio, like sit down with a physio and ask them, you know, what kind of education do I need? Because that is, you can't deny that you need to get your education to work as a physio. So mm-hmm. get a sense of what the education requirements are and then shadow them, like go and follow them for the day, what see what they shadowing? actually do yeah. in the clinic. Yeah. And that was one of the most valuable things for me is I went, I mean, I couldn't shadow her specifically that mentor that I had, but I went and I saw her workplace. She described what a day would look like. Um, and it was really enlightening. I also shadowed at other clinics where I was like, eh, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's interesting because my mentee right now for the YWCA program, like I was asking her, well, do you want to continue next year for, for her second year? And she's like, to be honest with you, like, I don't actually know if this is what I want to pursue anymore. And I might mm-hmm. like look into connecting with a different mentor. And I'm like, yeah that's totally fine. That's what we're here for, right? So take advantage of those opportunities as much as you can. But how do you find those opportunities? To me, it's like, you make it sound like it's very easy. But like, if I decided that I want to shadow a physiotherapist, what exactly do I need to do? Do I Google it? Do I need to find some organization? I googled um, I googled physiotherapists, I googled different clinics, and I looked at well, there's usually, usually with most professions, there's some sort of professional association, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a physiotherapy association of Canada mm-hmm. and like, you know, I'm sure there's, there's all, so going to those websites and then looking at, okay, well, what do you do? Right. And then there's usually options to find and like find a physio or find a dentist. And then you actually have their contact information because it has their clinic information there. 
So I literally just Googled physiotherapy. I think that back then I was interested in ultimate Frisbee and I wanted to see if there was any physios who worked in ultimate Frisbee or like worked with ultimate Frisbee players. Uh, and then pediatrics was another area. So I tried to Google physios who worked at children's hospital so I could actually go and see what they do. Right. Um, and I emailed them thinking that they wouldn't reply or they'd say no. And both of them said yes. Mm. And I went and I spent the day when I couldn't usually with, um, physiotherapy, uh, physiotherapists working in hospitals, you can't go and shadow them in the hospital because of confidentiality reasons mm -hmm. to protect the client's privacy. But in private practice, they're a little bit more lax about that. So I actually got to shadow in private practice um, facilities a little bit better. But then I got to sit down and chat with the, the hospital physio and just ask questions about, you know, exactly what you're asking me now. What do you do in your job? Why do you like it? What do you don't like about it? Were you already a student when you ask the people to shadow them? Yeah, uh, I started in high school. And then in university, I did more because I'm like, well, is this still what I want to work towards? Like at this point, too, I was a more leaning, I was debating even just switching majors completely and going into international relations and doing like becoming a diplomat. I wanted to become a Canadian diplomat. And you know what changed my mind? I had I was running day caps at the time. And there were two kids whose parents were both foreign service diplomats for Canada. And I had a two hour long conversation with the dad just because and, you, and you're, it's interesting, Andre, because you're like, where do you find these opportunities? And literally, you just randomly talk to people and they kind of show up, right? And his two hour conversation completely turned me off, like going into foreign services and becoming a diplomat. And um, then I stuck kind of stuck with this physio plan, right? So It's interesting. Yeah, it's just kind of getting out there. And, and then if there's certain areas you like, like volunteering in those areas, because it connects you with similar people. So I volunteered at a children's hospital and got to meet some therapists there and like talk to them. And yeah. Maybe I would also add that talk to multiple people <laughs> so that one person doesn't totally destroy your opinion about a certain career because maybe that diplomat was i don't know getting a divorce soon he really hated this job but maybe you know there's another diplomat right next door who is like super excited and he does crazy things and he saves nations really loves her job. Yeah. yeah well well it's interesting because i met like i i actually when i was on exchange for my undergrad i met people who ended up working in foreign services and it wasn't i like kind of shut it out but i was like oh it should be be interesting and i went and visited them and like saw what they did and i'm like yeah no this definitely wasn't mm -hmm. the life for Confirmed. me <laughs> yeah yeah like i yeah. made the right decision not not going that route um and i think that's where traveling is really cool too because traveling you like like when i, I did a solo trip on my own that's another thing i would say travel yes, on your own solo it's like trip. the best way to learn about yourself <laughs> you meet so many different people and like staying in hostels you just meet like all sorts of people right and it was so cool just seeing what people were doing and like taking a year off to travel and like to reevaluate themselves and then i also saw the other end too where they like been traveling for a year and they're back to you know hoping that they had more clarity and they don't they're probably mm. more confused than before and i think accepting that as well you know that that's you might not get your answer from traveling and sometimes traveling is like running away from <laughs> what 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 your problems actually are right travel like talk to different people talk to different people from different backgrounds um if there's something that's interested that you're interested in google google and then contact them <laughs> is what i found really successful um and then you know as cheesy as it sounds networking right like i wouldn't have met you guys if the ywca mentorship uh mm -hmm. organizer didn't connect me with you guys and she's been great she's connecting me to so many different things that's really forced me to look at these things a little bit more and push me out of my comfort zone and so you find allies in the weirdest places that you least expect mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. take advantage of those opportunities and i think it's just saying yes to them instead of being afraid of them and denying them That is a very well-rounded um, advice, I would say. <laughs> yeah, you can contact me. I always like if you want to shadow me at the at work, oh, you can get my like contact this. information, nice. and I, it was really it was really cool because um, I was doing a speaking event for high school students. Just it was a career day, and um, oh man, high school kids are hard to talk to. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're like trying so hard to be cool and relevant, but you're not. <laughs> oh man. I'm just trying I'm just trying to set up a boot camp for high school students high school. to teach them about localization <laughs> and translation. Yeah. You can just see them like just like their eyes are rolling to the back of their head and they're zoning out and I'm like, I don't think I got through to anybody and I tried really Whoa. hard to make my presentation really cool. And a few weeks ago, actually, I got an email from a student being like, hey, your talk really resonated with me. And I was really lost about what I was going to do before, you know, listening to your talk. And now, like, I've applied to UBC. I'm going to kinesiology um, mm. in September. And I'm thinking seriously about pursuing physio as a career. And I was like, Great. that's pretty awesome. Like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> like you guys are doing the same thing. There's probably going to be a bunch of people after listening to your podcast being like, yeah, that definitely changed like what I was going to do. And pretty awesome. We hope so. Thanks for the <laughs> encouragement. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us in this episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to tune in for the next one. You can find short clips of the interview on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Tell us what you think on Discord and Reddit. We are How Real Life Works on all the socials. Links are in the description.